0: That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I have a dream, one day, this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its tree. We hold these Jews to be self-evident that all men are created equal. The world will little note nor long remember what we say, but it can never forget what they did. What your country
1: can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Hello and welcome to Eccentric Earth, the podcast where I, your host Amy Walker, delve into stories from across history with a guest who has no idea what the topic's going to be. Joining me this week is Addy Hang. Hello. Thanks for coming back, Addy. It's, It's fun to have you on again.
0: It's great to come back. It's it's fun to hear about all the wacky, spooky, scary sides of history. <laughs> spooky. Ah, I guess
1: you heard the last episode then.
0: I uh, I like the fact I liked your theory about it being a Kryptonian. Yeah, it's rapey General
1: Zod. We we solved the mystery. I don't
0: I don't I don't necessarily think it's General Zod because remember there were other Kryptonians. Yeah, but Zod was the best one. I, I also like, uh, like Kal-El's dad, jor L. He was probably into some pretty shady shit.
1: Well, I think you're going to be happy with your episode tonight because there is some shady shit in this one. I always like shady shit. See, you say that now, but I don't know how I feel about this story and everything involved. So I don't know how you're going to feel at the end. It's it's odd. So, yeah, we're just going to have to see. So shady shit. Shady shit in, in many, many ways. Joanne Deborah Byron was born in Queens, New York City on July 16th, 1947. For three years, she lived with her mother, Doris Johnson, a schoolteacher, and retired grandparents, Lula and Frank Hill. In 1950, Joanne's parents divorced, and she moved with her grandparents to Wilmington, North Carolina. Joanne moved back to Queens with her mother and stepfather after elementary school. However, she still frequently visited her grandparents in the South. The family struggled financially and argued frequently, and Joanne spent little time at home. She often ran away, staying with strangers and working for short periods of time until she was taken in by her mother's sister, Evelyn Williams, a civil rights worker who lived in Manhattan. She has said that her aunt was the heroine of her childhood, as she was constantly introducing her to new things. She said that her aunt was very sophisticated and knew all kinds of things. She was right up my alley because I was forever asking all kinds of questions. I wanted to know everything. Her aunt often took her to museums theatres and art galleries, and the conflicts that did arise between the two were typically due to Joanne's habit of lying. It was during this period that Joanne converted to Catholicism, attending Cathedral High School an All-Girl Religious School. She stayed there for six months before transferring to public school, which she eventually dropped out of. She would later say that when she attended school, there were little to no other black students, and that teachers were always surprised at her abilities. She said that she felt teachers were not expecting a young black woman to be intelligent and to know the answers. I did not acknowledge, I didn't
0: understand until this point that she was actually African-American.
1: Huh. Yep, she is a young black woman. Yay, Catholicism. (laughs) You gotta remember as well, this is the 60s, so... Yay, racism. Very, very entrenched racism, but despite you know, schools and teachers probably not even wanting to give her a chance. She's incredibly intelligent and passionate and is is doing well in school despite this. She also said that whilst in school, she was taught a very distorted version of history, one that ignored the oppression and suffering of people of colour, especially within the United States. It's good to see that things have changed.
0: Yep, that's that's
1: completely different than, than at the moment. Uh-huh. She said, I didn't know what a fool they had made out of me until I grew up and started to read real history. Joanna attended Borough of Manhattan Community College and then City College of New York in the mid-1960s, where she was involved in many political activities, protests and sit-ins. She was arrested for the first time with 100 other students in 1967 on charges of trespassing. The students had chained and locked the entrance to a college building to protest low numbers of black faculty and the absence of a black studies programme. In April 1967, Joanne married a fellow City College student, Louis Chesimard. Whilst little is known about their married life, with only a small portion of her later autobiography given over to it, she did state that their marriage ended due to the different views on gender roles, and the two were divorced by the end of 1970. After graduating City College, Joanne joined the Black Panther Party. Despite agreeing on many points with the Black Panthers, Joanne soon left them, saying that she disliked the macho attitude of the male members and also felt that many of the party lacked knowledge of Black history. And then she moved to Wakanda and she lived
0: happily ever after until Thanos arrived.
1: Not quite. Instead, she joined the Black Liberation Army. Sounds way less violent. <laughs> no. <laughs> Whilst the Black Panthers were acknowledged as a legitimate political organization, the Black Liberation Army was widely considered a criminal group. The BLA had a stated goal to take up arms for the liberation and self-determination of black people in the United States and often used violence such as bombing, the killing of police officers and prison breaks in order to achieve this. It was at this time that Joanne began using the name Asata Shakur rejecting Joanne Chesimard as a slave name. Asata is a West African name, derived from the Arabic name Ashaya, said to mean she who struggles, while Shakur means thankful one in Arabic. She now identified as African and felt that her old name no longer fit.
0: What, she's still Catholic though?
1: No, she's given up Catholicism as well. So she's just African, which means basically nothing. I don't know what her religious views are at this point. She may have no faith, she may have taken up another, I'm not entirely sure. So she just recognises herself as African,
0: which basically means she doesn't really recognise herself as anything, really, because African
1: is... Well, Africa's a continent, not a nation. Yeah,
0: exactly, so it's not really a form of of recognising yourself in a group,
1: it's more like... I'm originally from this plot of ginormous land. Yeah, I think that's part of it, is is embracing her heritage and her being from the continent of Africa originally rather than being, an, as she said, well, th- there's a quote here which goes into it a little, I'll, I'll read that out. It sounded so strange when people called me Joanne. It really had nothing to do with me. I didn't feel like no Joanne, or no Negro, or no American. I felt like an African woman. So I think it's it's she's just become so jaded with life as an African American or a black person in America that she's kind of just rejected any of those labels and kind of got to the point where she's like okay just fuck this which it being the late 60s early 70s I, yeah it's incredibly racist era and I can see her getting fed up with it I think every uh
0: non a white, Christian, pers- cis person, and hetero person at that point, was like, fuck this.
1: But as she has changed her name at this point, even though it's not a legal name change, I will be referring to her as Asata Shakur from now on, just to respect that part of her identity. On April 6th, 1971, Shakur was shot in the stomach during a struggle with a guest at the Statler Hilton Hotel in Midtown Manhattan. According to police... Shakur knocked on the door of a guest's room and asked, is there a party going on here, then displayed a revolver and demanded money. She was booked on charges of of attempted robbery, felonious assault, reckless endangerment, and possession of a deadly weapon, but was released on bail. Shakur is alleged to have said that she was glad that she had been shot, since afterwards she was no longer afraid of being shot again. Yay? (laughs) Yeah, uh... (sighs) It's, it's a strange reaction to having been shot. It's like, well, that, that eliminates that fear. I was like, for me, it would just heighten the fear. It's, I've been shot once, I could be shot again. Like,
0: just because I've experienced a specific form of pain does not mean I do not fear that same form of pain again. Yeah. That kind of goes against the notion of sensation,
1: Following an August the 23rd 1971 bank robbery in Queens, Shakur was sought for questioning. A photograph of a woman, who was later alleged to be Shakur, wearing thick-rimmed black glasses, with a high hairdo pulled tightly over her head and pointing a gun, was widely displayed in banks. The New York City Clearinghouse Association paid for a full-page ad display material about Shakur. But it's okay, now you
0: can shoot her because she's no longer afraid. <laughs> Um. Please don't shoot people.
1: Yeah, let's let's not. On December 21st, 1971, Shakur was named by the New York City Police Department as one of four suspects in a hand grenade attack that destroyed a police car and slightly injured two patrolmen. A 13-state alarm was issued three days after the attack when a witness identified Shakur and Andrew Jackson from FBI photographs. Law enforcement officials in Atlanta, Georgia, said that Shakur and Jackson had lived together in Atlanta for several months in the summer of 1971. Shakur was one of those wanted for questioning for wounding a police officer attempting to serve a traffic summons in Brooklyn on January 26, 1972. After an $89,000 Brooklyn bank robbery on the 1st of March, 1972, a Daily News headline asked, Was that Joanne? Shakur was also wanted for questioning after a 1st September 1972 Bronx bank robbery. Based on FBI photographs, Monsieur John Powis alleged that Shakur was involved in an armed robbery of his Our Lady of the Presentation Church in Brownsville, Brooklyn, on September 14th, 1972 so she's amassing quite a list of well their their accusations you know they've not been proven to be her yet but she's she's getting noticed by the police which is not good no but as stated earlier the black liberation army are very up for performing violent acts to reach their goals so in theory it is very possible that knowing she's a member of that group, you could see her doing this. It's it's not outside the realms of possibility. But at this point, these are all just allegations.
0: She, she's taken this to Gorilla.
1: Essentially, yeah, the, the Black Panther group is often misremembered as being very violent and doing a lot of things like this when it's, it's not really the case. They yes there was there was violent things that happened involving the black panther party but a lot of that was down to police pushing certain scenarios and in some cases being worse than criminals themselves but the the black liberation army was was very much a criminal group they had political goals yes but they they did criminal acts and and didn't deny that at all they they were
0: very much attack at all costs
1: yeah if if robbing a bank helps them with their goals of liberating black people in America, they'll do it.
0: If killing people will help them with their decision or attempt at liberating black people in America, they'll do it. Yeah. If attacking someone using hand grenades, they'll do it. Aren't people grand?
1: It's, I don't know, it's a tough one in the sense of what they're doing is not right and I don't condone it in any way. But On the can, other hand, but this I can is understand. 1960s, 1970s, when the
0: reaction to people of color, even compared to today, was very much, you have the responsibility of not getting hurt for some dumb shit.
1: I can understand why they got to this point and felt this was the only way forward, but I, I don't think it's the right thing to do. It's, it's a tough one, you know. Yeah. There's, there's no good guys and bad guys in this, I don't think.
0: Rather, I don't think there are good guys and good guys here. Would be more accurate. Yeah. Because there are a
1: shit ton of bad guys. In 1972, Shakur became the subject of a nationwide manhunt after the FBI alleged that she led a Black Liberation Army cell that had conducted a series of cold-blooded murders of New York City police officers. The FBI said that these included the execution-style murders of New York City police officers Joe... Oh, God, I should have... Joe O? (laughs) No, i I just seen the name. It's, oh, Joseph Piagentini. Piagantini? You want to send me the name and I'll try and read it? (laughs) It's an Italian-American name. It threw me for a second there. And Waverly Jones, both of whom were killed on May 21st, 1971 and an NYPD police officer, Gregory Foster, and Rocco Laurie on January 28th, 1972. So now there are four police officers confirmed dead in connection to the BLA. Shakur was alleged to be directly involved with the Foster and Laurie murders, and involved tangentially with Jones and Pierre Glantini. Later, Shakur was asked about the BLA's alleged involvement in the killings of police officers. She responded that, in reality armed struggles historically has to be used by people to liberate themselves. But the question lies in where do people use armed struggle? There are people in the BLA who absolutely took the position that it was just time to resist. And if black people didn't start to fight back against police brutality and didn't start to wage armed resistance, we would be annihilated.
0: And then they took out the guillotine and they took off the queen's
1: head. Again, I can see why they got to this point of thinking. Oh, 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 yeah, completely. Because the, the police at this time, it, they did act like it was war. It's free for all. And yeah, it's a lot of people involved in the whole rights movement and, and the fight for equality were killed by police for, for no real reason. And it's something, unfortunately, that has carried on today. Look at... I'm sorry to point to you again, America, but look at America and how white mass shooters get arrested and black people in their backyard on their phone get shot seven times in the back. I'm sorry, not
0: um, not black mass shooters, black terrorists, uh, white terrorists. Sorry, yes. not white mass shooters, white terrorists. Yes. Yeah, because let's not turn it into like something it's not. It's not, it's not... It's it's terrorism, it's plain and simple, it's terrorism. It's mass murder, it's mass shooting, and it's just
1: terrorism. Some sources identified Shakur as the de facto head of the BLA after the arrest of co-founder Deborah Moore. Robert Daly, Deputy Commissioner of the New York City Police Department, described Shakur as the final wanted fugitive, the soul of the gang, the mother hen who kept them all together, kept them moving, kept them shooting. Years later, some police officers argued that her importance in the BLA had been exaggerated by the police, while with one saying that they themselves had created a myth to demonise Shakur because she was educated, young and pretty. So they needed a nice
0: scapegoat?
1: Yeah, it's what it sounds like if that's police officers saying that years later. As of February 17, 1972, when Shakur was identified as one of four BLA members on a short trip to Tennessee, she was wanted for questioning in relation to a police killing, a Queens bank robbery, and the grenade attack. Shakur was announced as one of six suspects in the ambushing of four policemen, two in Jamaica, Queens, and two in Brooklyn, on 28th of January 1973. By June 1973, an apparatus that would become the FBI's Joint Terrorist Task Force, was issuing nearly daily briefings on Shakur's status and the allegations against her. According to some, the FBI and local police initiated a national search and destroy mission for suspected BLA members, collaborating in stakeouts that were the products of intensive political repression and counterintelligence camps like Newkill they attempted to tie Asata to every suspected action in BLA involving a woman. Shakur and others claimed that she was targeted by the FBI's counterintelligence program as a result for her involvement with the Black Liberation Organizations. Specifically, documentary evidence suggested that Shakur was targeted by an investigation named Chesrob, which attempted to hook former New York Panther Joanne Chesimard, which is Asata Shakur, to virtually every bank robbery or violent crime involving a black woman on the East Coast. So they are determined to get her for something now. They still need the scapegoat. On the 2nd of May, 1973, at around 12.45am, Asata Shakur, along with Zaid Malik Shakur and Sundiata Akoli, was stopped on the New York Jersey Turnpike in East Brunswick for driving with a broken taillight. They were stopped by State Trooper James Harper, who was backed up by Trooper Werner Forrester in a second patrol vehicle. Oh, two
0: patrol vehicles for a broken taillight.
1: Yes, the vehicle was also reportedly slightly exceeding the speed limit. By like, two miles. The stop occurred 200 yards, or 183 metres, south of what was then the Turnpike Authority Administration building. A Cody was driving the two-door vehicle, Asata was seated in the front seat, and Zaid Shakur was in the right rear seat. Trooper Harper asked the driver for identification, noticed a discrepancy, and asked him to get out of the car and questioned him at the rear of the vehicle. It is at this point, accounts of the confrontation begin to differ. However, in the ensuing shootout, Trooper Forrester was shot twice in the head with his own handgun and killed. So there was a shooting. There's, there's a shooting? That is one thing all the reports agree on there was a shooting and the trooper has been murdered or killed. Zaid Shakur was also killed and Asata Shakur and Trooper Harper were both wounded.
0: But the third person survived.
1: Yeah, the the other person is unwounded. The other person being Sundiata Akoli. They were fine. According to initial police statements, at this point, one or more of the suspects Began firing with semi automatic handguns, and Trooper Forrester fired four times before falling mortally wounded. At Coley's trial, Harper testified that the gunfight started seconds after Forrester arrived at the scene. At this trial, Harper said that Forrester reached into the vehicle, pulled out and held up a semi automatic pistol and ammunition magazine, and said, Jim, look what I found, while facing Harper at the rear of the vehicle. He said, at this point, Asata Shakur and Zaid Shakur were ordered to put their hands on their laps and not to move. Harper said that Asata Shakur then reached down to the right of her right leg, pulled out a pistol and shot him in the shoulder, after which he retreated to behind his vehicle. Questioned by Prosecutor C. Hudson-Hamlin, Harper said he saw Forrester shout as Asata Shakur was felled by bullets from Harper's gun. Harper testified that Akoli shot Forrester with a 38 caliber semi-automatic pistol and then used Forrester's own handgun to execute him. According to the testimony of state police investigators, two jammed semi-automatic pistols were discovered near Forrester's body. Akoli then drove the car, which contained Asata Shakur, who was wounded, and Zaid Shakur, who was dead, five miles down the road. The vehicle was chased by three patrol cars and the booths down the turnpike were alerted. Akoli then exited the car, and after being ordered to halt by a trooper, fled into the woods as the trooper emptied his gun. Asata Shakur then walked towards the trooper with her bloodied arm raised in surrender. Akoli was captured after a 36-hour manhunt involving 400 people, state police helicopters, and bloodhounds. Mad. Zaid Shakur's body was found in a nearby gully along the road. Wait,
0: how did... Wasn't the body in the car...
1: Yeah, I'm guessing at some point he fell out of the car. It's not gone into, but yeah, his body ended up in the side of the road. According to a New Jersey police spokesperson, Asata Shakur was on her way to a new hideout in Philadelphia and heading ultimately for Washington, and a book in the vehicle contained a list of potential BLA targets. Asata Shakur testified that she was on her way to Baltimore for a job as a bar waitress. And her nose grew? It could be true. I doubt that. Innocent until proven guilty. She's part of BLA.
0: Okay. At this point, I think it's proven.
1: Asata Shakur, with gunshot wounds in both arms and a shoulder, was moved to Middlesex General Hospital under heavy guard and was reported to be in serious condition. Yeah, that that makes sense. Trooper Harper was wounded in the left shoulder, but was in good condition and given protective guard at the hospital. Asata was interrogated and arraigned from her hospital bed and her medical care during this period is often alleged to have been substandard. She was transferred from Middlesex General Hospital in New Brunswick to Roosevelt Hospital in Edison after her lawyers obtained a court order from Judge John Backman, and then transferred to Middlesex County Workhouse a few weeks later. During an interview, Asata Shakur talked about her treatment from police and medical staff at Middlesex County Hospital she stated that the police were beating and choking her and doing anything they could possibly do as long as the doctors and nurses would be outside. Between 1973 and 1977, in New York and New Jersey, Shakur was indicted ten times, resulting in seven different criminal trials. Shakur was charged with two bank robberies, the kidnapping of a Brooklyn heroin dealer, the attempted murder of two Queens police officers stemming from a January 23rd, 1973 failed ambush, and eight other felonies related to the Turnpike shootout. Of these trials, three resulted in acquittals, one in a hung jury, one in a change of venue, one in a mistrial due to pregnancy, and one in a conviction. Wait,
0: for pregnancy?
1: Yes. Three indictments were also dismissed without trial. On the charges related to the New Jersey Turnpike shootout, New Jersey Superior Court Judge Leon Gryofsky ordered a change of venue in 1973 from Middlesex to Morris County, New Jersey, saying it was almost impossible to attain a jury here comprising people willing to accept the responsibility of impartiality so that the defendant will be protected from transistory passion and prejudice. Polls of residents in Middlesex County, where Akoli had been convicted less than three years earlier, showed that 73% knew her identity and 70% said she was guilty without hearing any evidence. So they just see her as guilty straight away. She is
0: incredibly lucky then, in a way.
1: That they moved it.
0: Yeah, because Mm -hmm. despite the fact that they didn't really want to hear her out, the fact that they claim to be impartial is what saved her bacon.
1: In December 1973, Shakur was tried for a September 29, 1972 $3,700 robbery of the manufacturer's Hanover Trust Company in the Bronx, along with co-defendant Kamal Shidiki. In light of the pending murder prosecution against Shakur in New Jersey State Court, her lawyers requested that the trial be postponed for six months to permit for further preparations. Judge Lee P. Gagliardi denied a postponement. In protest, the lawyers stayed mute and Shakur and Shadiki conducted their own defence. Seven other BLA members were indicted by District Attorney Eugene Gold in connection with a series of hold-ups and shooting on the same day, who, according to Gold, represented the top echelon of the BLA as determined by a year-long investigation. The prosecution's case rested largely on the testimony of two men who had pleaded guilty to participating in the hold-up. The prosecution called four witnesses Avon White and John Rivers, both of whom had already been convicted of the robbery, and the manager and teller of the bank. White and Rivers, although convicted, had not yet been sentenced for the robbery and were promised that their charges would be dropped in exchange for their testimony against Shakur. White and Rivers testified that Shakur had guarded one of the doors with a 357 Magnum pistol and that Shadiki had served as a lookout and drove the getaway truck during the robbery. However, neither White nor Rivers were cross-examined due to their defence attorney's refusal to participate in the trial. Shakur's aunt and lawyer, Evelyn Williams, was also cited for contempt after walking out of the courtroom when many of her attempted motions were denied. During the trial, the defendants were escorted to a holding pen outside the courtroom several times after shouting complaints at Judge Garlandi. While in the holding pen, they listened to the proceedings over loudspeakers both defendants were reportedly cited for contempt of court and eventually barred from the courtroom, where the trial continued in their absence.
0: Wait, so the defendants weren't even in the trial that was about them?
1: Yeah, they were banned from their own trial. Wow, hardcore. Siddiqui's lawyer, Robert Bloom, attempted to have the trial dismissed and then postponed due to new revelations regarding the credibility of White, a former co-defendant working for the prosecution. Bloom had been assigned to defend Hilton over the summer, but White had not disclosed as a government witness until right before the trial. Judge Gagliardi instructed both the prosecution and the defence not to bring up Shakur or Shadiki's connection to the BLA, saying that they were not relevant. Gagliardi denied requests by the jurors to pose questions to the witnesses, either directly or through him, and declined to provide the jury with the information they requested about how long the defence had been given to prepare, saying it was none of their concern. Wow, the stonewalling
0: here is so transparent.
1: Yeah, it's pretty bad. The trial resulted in a hung jury and then a mistrial when the jury reported to Gagliardi that they were hopelessly deadlocked for the fourth time. The retrial was delayed for one day to give the defendants more time to prepare. Ah, yes,
0: one day, that's...
1: That's all you need to prepare for a trial, surely? Of course,
0: of course. That's, that's what all my, my lawyer friends say, that they only need one day.
1: The new jury selection was marked by attempts by Williams to be relieved of her duties, owing to disagreements with Shakur as well as with Hilton's attorney. Judge Arnold Bauman denied the application, but directed another lawyer, Howard Jacobs, to defend Shakur while Williams remained the attorney of record. Shakur was ejected following an argument with Williams, and Hilton left with her as jury selection continued. After the selection of 12 jurors, Williams was allowed to retire from the case, with Shakur officially representing herself. I've
0: never heard of a trial where it was a good thing when the defendant represented themselves.
1: Yeah, it's normally a bad sign. In the retrial, White testified that the six alleged robbers had saved their hair clippings to create disguises and identified a partially obscured head and shoulders in a photo taken from surveillance cameras as Asata Shakur. Kennedy objected to this identification on the grounds that the prosecutor, Assistant United States Attorney Peter Trubner, had offered to stipulate that Shakur was not depicted in any of the photographs. Although both White and Rivers testified that Shakur was wearing overalls during the robbery, the person identified as Shakur in the photograph was wearing a jacket. Oh, wow. Yep, that kind of pokes some holes. The defense attempted to discredit White on the grounds that he had spent eight months in the Matawian Hospital for the Criminally Insane in 1968. White countered that he had faked insanity by claiming to be Allah in front of three psychiatrists to get transferred out of prison. Shakur personally cross examined the witnesses, getting White to admit that he had once been in love with her. The same day, one juror, who had been frequently napping during the trial was replaced by an alternate i'm sorry
0: that's that's a great reason to get time off work <laughs> you just come to a trial you nap that's why there is jury
1: duty during the retrial the defendants repeatedly left or were thrown out of the courtroom both defendants were acquitted six jurors interviewed after the trial stated that they did not believe the two key prosecution witnesses. Shakur was immediately returned to Morristown, New Jersey, under a heavy guard following the trial. Louis Chesimard, Shakur's ex-husband, and Paul Stewart, the other two alleged robbers, had been acquitted in June. The Turnpike shootout proceedings continued with Judge John E. Backman in Middlesex County. The jury was chosen from Morris County, which had a far smaller black population than Middlesex. On this basis... Shakur unsuccessfully attempted to remove the trial to federal court. Before jury selection was complete, it was discovered, however, that Shakur was pregnant. Due to the possibility of miscarriage, the prosecution successfully requested a mistrial for Shakur. However, Akoli's trial continued. Only now they found out she's pregnant. It took a little while. You only need the one go. Yeah, but you don't know as soon as you've had sex that you're pregnant. Okay, the lady in Species did, but she was an alien, so it doesn't count. Okay, yeah. It's fine, we're not talking
0: about aliens. Aliens are more fun.
1: By the time she was retried in 1977, Akoli had been convicted of shooting and murdering Forrester. The prosecution argued that Asata had fired the bullets that had wounded Harper, while the defence argued that the now-deceased Zaid had fired them. Based on New Jersey law, if Shakur's presence at the scene could be considered as aiding and abetting the murders of Forrester, she could be convicted even if she had not fired the bullets herself. A total of 289 articles had been published in the local press relating to the various crimes with which Shakur had been accused. Shakur again attempted to remove the trial to federal court. The United States District Court for the the District of New Jersey denied the petition and also denied Shakur an injunction against the holding of trial proceedings on Fridays, the Muslim Sabbath. A total of 408 potential jurors were questioned during the selection, which concluded on February 14th. All of the 15 jurors selected, 10 women and 5 men, were white, and most were under 30 years old. Five of the jurors had personal ties to state troopers. One was a girlfriend, two were nephews, and two had friends who were state troopers. One prospective juror was dismissed for reading Target Blue, a book by Robert Daly, a former New York City police commander, which dealt in part with Shakur, which had been left in the jury assembly room. Fantastic.
0: I love that. I love that
1: reason. During the trial, hundreds of civil rights campaigners demonstrated outside the Middlesex County Courthouse every single day. Following the 13-minute opening statement by Edward J. Barone, the first assistant Middlesex County prosecutor directing the case for the state, William Kunstler, the chief of Shakur's defence staff, moved immediately for a mistrial, calling the, the eight-count grand jury indictment adversary proceedings solely and exclusively under control of the prosecutor, whom Kunstler accused of improper prejudicial remarks. Judge Theodore Appleby, noting the frequent defence interruptions that had characterised the previous day's jury selection, denied the motion. Shakur herself was called as a witness on March 15th, the first witness called by the defence. She denied shooting both Harper and Forrester, and also denied handling a weapon during the incident. Under cross-examination, Shakur was unable to explain how three magazines of ammunition and 16 live shelves had gotten into her shoulder bag. She also admitted to knowing that Zaid Shakur carried a gun at all times, and specifically to seeing a gun sticking out of a Coley's pocket while stopping for supper shortly before the shooting. Shakur's defence attorneys were William Kunstler, Stuart Ball, Robert Bloom, Raymond Brown, Stanley Cohen, Lennox Hines, Florence Kennedy, Lewis Myers, Lawrence Stern, and Evelyn Williams, her aunt. Of these attorneys... Counselor Ball, Cohen, Myers, Stern, and Williams appeared in court for the trial. Her attorneys, in particular Lennox Hines, were often held in contempt of court, which the Natural Conference of Black Lawyers cited as an example of systematic bias in the judicial system. The New Jersey Legal Ethics Committee also investigated complaints against Hines for comparing Shakur's murder trial to legalized lynching, undertaken by a kangaroo court. Kangaroo court. According to Kunstler's autobiography, the sizable contingent of New Jersey state troopers guarding the courthouse were under strict orders from their commander, Colonel Clinton Pagano, to completely shun Shakur's defence attorneys. Until obtaining court order, Williams was forced to strip naked and undergo a full body search before each visit with her, during which Shakur was shackled to a bed by both of her ankles. Okay. I know I'm not in the legal profession but that does not sound like standard protocol at all
0: not even a bit
1: no you are going to be chained to a bed and we will strip search your lawyer every time he comes to talk to you bit odd sounds so humane hey i'm just gonna say how it is it sounds racist as fuck what she said Judge Appleby also refused to investigate a burglary of her defense counsel's office that resulted in the disappearance of trial documents amounting to half of the legal papers related to her case. Her lawyers also claimed that their offices had been bugged. What,
0: what the fuck is going on in this trial?
1: It, it's dodgy as fuck. I told you this episode was going to be dodgy.
0: And, and I believe you.
1: See, I think you're going on the same journey I did when I first read this, where you start off and it's like, you know, she had these right ideals and she believed in a just cause and she fell into a group that wasn't doing the right thing and she's probably guilty of some of these crimes and she should be held accountable under the law despite the reasons why she was doing this and now you're thinking okay this trial is dodgy as fuck and she has no way of getting a fair trial what the hell is going on Sundiata Akoli, Asata Shakur, Trooper Harper and a New Jersey turnpike driver who saw part of the incident were the only surviving witnesses. Akoli did not testify or make any pretrial statements, nor did he testify in his own trial or give a statement to police. The driver, who was travelling north on the turnpike, testified that he had seen a state trooper struggling with a black man between a white vehicle and a state trooper car, whose revolving lights illuminated the area. Shakur testified that Trooper Harper shot her after she raised her arms to comply with his demand. She said that the second shot hit her in the back as she turned to avoid it, and that she fell onto the road for the duration of the gunfight, before crawling back into the back seat of the Pontiac, which Coley then drove five miles down the road and parked. She testified that she had remained there until state troopers dragged her out and onto the road. Trooper Harper's official report stated that after he stopped the Pontiac, he ordered Coley to the back of the vehicle for Trooper Forrester, who had arrived on the scene, to examine his driver's license. The report then stated that after Akoli complied, and as Harper was looking inside the vehicle to examine the registration, Trooper Forrester yelled and held up an ammunition magazine as Shakur simultaneously reached into her pocketbook, pulled out a 9mm weapon and fired at him. Trooper Harper's reports then state that he ran to the rear of his car and shot at Shakur, who had exited the vehicle and was firing from a cramped position. A key element of Shakur's defence was medical testimony meant to demonstrate that she was shot with her hands up and that she would have been subsequently unable to fire a weapon. A neurologist testified that the median nerve in Shakur's right arm was severed by the second bullet, making her physically unable to fire the trigger. Neurosurgeon Dr Arthur Turner-Davidson, Associate Professor of Surgery at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, testified that the wounds in her upper arms, armpit and chest, and seven median nerve that instantly paralysed her right arm, could only have been caused if both of her arms were raised, and that to sustain such injuries whilst crouch and firing a weapon, as described by the police, would be anatomically impossible. Dr. David Spain, a pathologist from Brookdale Community College, testified that her bullet scars, as well as x-rays, supported her claim that her arms were raised and that there was no conceivable way the first bullet could have hit her clavicle with her arms down. However, Judge Appleby cut off funds for any further expert defence testimony. Oops, we're out of money. No, they're not out of money, he just won't give them any more money. Potato, tomato. According to Angela Davis, neutron activation analysis that was administered after the shootout showed no gunpowder residue on Shakur's fingers, and forensic analysis performed at Trenton, New Jersey Crime Lab and the FBI crime labs in Washington did not find her fingerprints on any of the weapons at the scene. On March 24th, the jurors listened for 45 minutes to a re-reading of testimony of the state police chemist regarding the blood found at the scene. That night, the second night of jury deliberation, the jury asked Judge Appleby to repeat his instructions regarding the four assault charges thirty minutes before retiring for the night, which led to speculation that the jury had decided in Shakur's favour on the remaining charges, especially the two counts of murder. Appleby reiterated that the jury must consider separately the four assault charges atrocious assault and battery, assault on a police officer acting in the line of duty, assault with a deadly weapon and assault with intent to kill, each of which carried a total maximum penalty of 33 years in prison. Shakur was convicted on all eight counts, two murder charges and six assault charges. But there
0: was scientific evidence that she didn't do jack shit.
1: Yes. Fantastic. The prosecution did not need to prove that Shakur fired the shots that killed either Trooper Forrester or Zaid Shakur. Being an accomplice to murder carried an equivalent life sentence under New Jersey law. Upon hearing the verdict, Shakur said in a barely audible voice that she was, ashamed that I had even taken part in this trial. She said that the jury was racist and had convicted a woman with her hands up. Judge Appleby told the court attendants to remove the prisoner for these comments, at which Shakur replied, the prisoner will walk away on her own feet. At the post-trial press conference, Kunstler blamed the verdict on racism, stating that the white element was there to deny her. When asked by a reporter why, if that were the case, it took the jury 24 hours to reach the verdict, Kunstler replied that was just a pretense. A few minutes later, the prosecutor, Barone, disagreed with Kunstler's assessment, saying that the trial's outcome was decided completely on the facts. At At Shakur's sentencing hearing on the 25th of April, Appleby sentenced her to 26 to 33 years in state prison to be served consecutively with her mandatory life sentence. Appleby finally sentenced Shakur to 30 days in Middlesex County Workhouse for contempt of court, concurrent with her other sentences for refusing to rise when he entered the courtroom. To become eligible for parole, Shakur would have to serve a minimum of 25 years, which would have included her four years in custody during the trial.
0: So she has to serve 21. Yeah,
1: so she's going to go to prison for 21 years before she has a chance of getting out. Which is still unfair. Yeah, she was at a shooting. By by everything it's, we've heard from witnesses and medical evidence, she was at a shooting. She held her hands up to surrender, got shot twice by police, and is now going to prison for the murder of the two people there and the assault on the people there. She didn't... Do jack shit. No, but she's part of the BLA, and she has to go to prison because she must be guilty. They needed an scapegoat. People are fun. After the Turnpike shootings, Shakur was briefly held at the Garden State Youth Correctional Facility in Yardville, Burlington County, New Jersey, and later moved to Rikers Island Correctional Institute for Women in New York City, where she was kept in solitary confinement for twenty one months. Shakur's only daughter, Kakuya Shakur, was conceived during her trial and born on September 11, 1974, in the fortified psychiatric wing at Elmhurst General Hospital in Queens, where Shakur stayed for a few days before being returned to Rikers Island. In her autobiography, Shakur claims that she was beaten and restrained by several large female officers after refusing a medical exam from a prison doctor shortly after giving birth. On April 8, 1978, Shakur was transferred to Alderson Federal Prison Camp in Alderson, West Virginia, where she met Puerto Rican nationalist Lolita LeBron and Mary Alice, a Catholic nun who introduced Shakur to the concept of liberation theology. At Alderson, Shakur was housed in a maximum security unit, which also contained several members of the Aryan Sisterhood, as well as members of the Charles Manson family. Wait, so she, 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 she met white nationalists? Yeah, and people from various, yeah, Puerto Rican nationalists, a Catholic nun, It's it's a varied group. On March 31, 1978, after the maximum security unit at Alderson was closed, Shakur was transferred to the Clinton Correctional Facility for Women in New Jersey. According to her attorney, Lennox Hines, Shakur understates the awfulness of the conditions in which she was incarcerated, which include regular, vaginal and anal searches. For what? They're in prison! They've got to check for contraband, apparently. What are you going to smuggle in prison from prison? Heinz argued that, in the history of New Jersey, no woman pre-trial detainee or prisoner has ever been treated as she was, continuously confined in a men's prison, under 24 hours surveillance of her most intimate functions, without intellectual sustenance, adequate medical attention, and exercise, and without the company of other women for all the years she was in custody.
0: Uh, I, I doubt that no one has ever, because... I assume that throughout history, prisons have been pretty shitty to various degrees, so I doubt that never.
1: I think they mean, in modern, uh, air quotes, enlightened America. I did not know we've reached enlightened America. Oh, we haven't, but bless them, they think they have. Oh, Americans are
0: so cute.
1: I'm probably losing a lot of American listeners now. Hey, this history kind of speaks for itself. Yeah, America
0: doesn't really have a lot to fall onto, historically.
1: And I'll I'll be the first to admit, neither do I, as someone from England. England is a shitty, awful country, historically. We've done fucking awful things, but... Hey,
0: America had to start somewhere.
1: Yeah, they're they're playing catch-up.
0: Now you've got Theresa
1: May, that's... But, oh, uh, thank but, you. Uh, now I'm feeling depressed.
0: But did, like, the the Labour Party won, like, 200 votes or something now?
1: Yeah, they, they had a massive victory, but the press labelled it a huge defeat because they hate the Labour Party, so it doesn't matter. Okay, but since when do we
0: listen to the press? Like, when have you looked at the press and said, Ah, yes, they are very truthful. They're people, I
1: think. In early 1979, the family, a group of BLA members, began to plan Shakur's escape from prison.
0: That would make everyone like her even more.
1: They financed this by stealing $105,000 from a Bamberger's store in Paramus, New Jersey. On November 2nd, 1979, Shakur escaped the Clinton Correctional Facility for Women in New Jersey when three members of the Black Liberation Army visiting her drew concealed 45 caliber pistols and a stick of dynamite. They seized two guards as hostages, commandeered a van, and escaped. No one was injured during the prison break, including the guards held as hostage, who were left in the parking lot. FBI circulated wanted posters throughout New York and the New Jersey area. Her supporters hung Asata Shakur is welcome here posters in response.
0: I'm, I'm just still reeling on the dynamite.
1: <laughs> That's how you prove
0: your innocence.
1: Oh, there is no way they can prove she is innocent. They've decided she's guilty.
0: Oh, of course. I'm, I'm highly aware of that. I'm, I'm just like.
1: In New York, three days after her escape, more than 5,000 demonstrators organized by the National Black Human Rights Coalition carried signs with the slogan, "Asata Shakur is welcome here. At the rally, a statement from Shakur was circulated condemning US prison conditions and calling for an independent new African state. For years after Shakur's escape, the movements, activities and phone calls of her friends and relatives, including her daughter walking to school in Upper Manhattan, were monitored by investigators in an attempt to ascertain her whereabouts. In July 1980, FBI Director William Webster said that the search for Shakur had been frustrated by residents' refusal to cooperate. And New York Times editorial opines that the department's commitment to enforce the law with vigour, but also with sensitivity for civil rights and civil liberties, have been clouded by an apparently crude sweep through Harlem buildings in search of Shakur. In particular... On April 20th, 1980, a pre-dawn raid on 29 Morningside Avenue, during which FBI agents armed with shotguns and machine guns, broke down doors and searched through the building for several hours whilst preventing residents from leaving, was seen by residents as having racist overtones. In October 1980, New Jersey and New York City Police denied publishing a report that they had declined to raid buildings where Shakur was suspected to be hiding for fear of provoking a racial incident. Since her escape, Shakur has subsequently been charged with unlawful flight to avoid imprisonment. Shakur was in Cuba by 1980, and in that year she was granted political asylum there. The Cuban government paid approximately $13 a day towards her living expenses. In 1985, her daughter Kakuya, who had been raised by Shakur's mother in New York, came to live with her. In 1987, her presence in Cuba became widely known when she agreed to be interviewed by Newsday. In 1987, she published Asata, an autobiography, which was written in Cuba. Her autobiography had been cited in relation to critical legal studies and critical race theory. The book does not give a detailed account of her involvement in the BLA or the events of the New Jersey Turnpike, except to say that the jury convicted a woman with her hands up. It gives an account of her life, beginning with her youth in the South and New York. Shakur challenges traditional styles of literacy, autobiography, and offers a perspective on her life that is not easily accessible to the public. In 1997, Carl Williams, the superintendent of New Jersey State Police, wrote a letter to Pope John Paul II, asking him to raise the issue of Shakur's extradition during his talks with President Fidel Castro. During the Pope's visit to Cuba in 1998, Shakur agreed to an interview with NBC journalist Ralph Penzer. Shakur later published an extensive criticism on the NBC segment which interspliced footage of Trooper Forrester's grieving widow with an FBI photo connected to a bank robbery of which Shakur had been acquitted. The actual NBC um, segment is actually on YouTube and can be watched. It's worth going to have a look at because they talk to her directly and it's kind of interesting to see her and see a little of her side. On March 10th, 1998, New Jersey Governor Christine Todd Whitman asked Attorney General Janet Reno to do whatever it could take to return Shakur from Cuba. In 1998, US media widely reported claims that the United States State Department had offered to lift the Cuban embargo in exchange for the return of 90 US fugitives, which included Shakur. House Concurrent Resolution 254 passed with a 731-0 to zero vote in the House by unanimous consent of the Senate. The resolution was due in no small part to lobbying efforts of Governor Whitman and New Jersey Representative Bob Franks. Before the passage of the resolution, Franks stated, This escaped murderer now lives a comfortable life in Cuba and has launched a public relations campaign in which she attempts to portray herself as an innocent victim rather than a cold-blooded murderer. The woman who couldn't shoot anyone because she was shot with her hands in the air is apparently a cold-blooded murderer. Of course.
0: How could you not know that, Amy?
1: In an open letter to Fidel Castro, chair of the Congressional Black Caucus representative Maxine Waters of California later explained that many members of the caucus, including herself, were against Shakur's extradition but had mistakenly voted for the bill, which was placed on an accelerated suspension calendar generally reserved for non-controversial legislation. In the letter, Waters explained her opposition, calling it illegal, clandestine political persecution. On May 2nd, 2005, the 32nd anniversary of the Turnpike shooting, the FBI classified Sata Shakur as a domestic terrorist, increasing the reward for assistance in her capture to $1 million, the largest reward placed on an individual in the history of New Jersey.
0: And yet... Mass shooters. What the fuck,
1: America? New Jersey State Police Superintendent Rick Futentes Rick Funtens. I fucking American names do me so much. They're so they're so varied. There's no consistency. They're they're so Oh Let's call him let's call him Rick. Superintendent Rick
0: I just see you get so pissed. At freaking names, it's like going completely red, like veins popping out, like
1: fucking get your own consistent name rick see this is the thing when you when you research and you read it you kind of say it in your head and you you don't really get it and it's like oh it's so and so and then you you write it down and you compile it all together and then you've got to actually come and say it and you think shit i have no idea how this is supposed to be pronounced not not even a hint at what it should sound like and it seems to be every single episode New Jersey State Police Superintendent Rick said she is now £120 of money.
0: Unless you carry a literal bag that contains £120 of money, nothing should be referred to that by that way.
1: No, surely that's a good way to describe a living human being. Of
0: course, of course, that's how usually I describe living people.
1: The bounty announcement reportedly caused Shakur to drop out of sight after previously living relatively openly, including having her home telephone number listed in the telephone directory. She's a ballsy woman. Not anymore. Not after they put a million dollars on her head. I'm pretty sure
0: if they put a million dollars on your head, you would drop off the face of the planet as well. But until that point, having your phone in the National Registry, despite being a convicted felon that got out of jail by dynamite...
1: You it's have a ballsy to be... move. Yeah. yeah, you have to be <laughs> a pretty ballsy person. New York City councilman Charles Barron, a former Black Panther, has called for the bounty to be rescinded. The New Jersey State Police and Federal Bureau of Investigations each still have an agent officially assigned to her case. Calls for Shakur's extradition increased following Fidel Castro's transfer of presidential duties. In a May 2005 television address, Castro had called Shakur a victim of racial persecution, saying they wanted to portray her as a terrorist, something that was an injustice, a brutality, an infamous lie. And then
0: he said something else that was obvious.
1: In 2013, the FBI announced it had added Shakur to its list of most wanted terrorists, the first time that a woman had been included on the list. The reward for her capture and return was also doubled to $2 million. And yet she's still
0: £120 worth
1: of money. Asata Shakur's whereabouts currently remain unknown and the reward has yet to be claimed. So she's still out there somewhere. Holy fuck. And and that's kind of where... there. There's no end to this story yet. They want her. They don't know where the fuck she is now. They still think of Cuba, maybe, hiding. She could have gone elsewhere. Who knows? Her child, maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Probably safest, safest if she doesn't tell her. So she might not know. See, I, I don't know about you, but I just found this story so fascinating because... This story, this, this story is phenomenal. You start thinking she has to be... A bad guy, in a way, you know, she's in the BLA, they are doing awful things, she's, she's probably done some bad things herself, but then you see this trial, and it's like, hey, okay, she had no way of being physically able to kill these people, and they put her away for murder, and it's like, that's an f- awful injustice and yes yeah, so motivated by racism and prejudice but then she breaks out and goes to Cuba and suddenly she becomes a bit of a badass for doing that it's she's amazing but i don't know if i should think that she's amazing i i don't know how hand, i feel no yeah right now you feel pissed because of last names um
0: uh yeah i come like i completely understand because on the one hand she's not a good person she has good ideas, like like obviously I support her cause, but mm. the way they, they approached it by saying, let's be violent as well, is my issue. So that's my earlier statement, that there are no good guys in the story. Mm. But then there's the fact that she gets sent to prison for several decades, for something that she didn't even do. But I I still think there are no good guys in this story. So it's more like neutral aligning towards villainy and straight-out evil. Mm -hmm.
1: Would you like to know something interesting about Asata that isn't in the story? You found her. But no... No. <laughs> um, she is the godmother of Tupac Shakur. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Holy
0: crap. Maybe he's with her. That's how he disappeared. He's, he's just living with her somewhere.
1: Yeah, I. that's actually how I stumbled across her. She um, came up in one of these things, oh, have you heard about... They actually... Um, got it a bit wrong they said have you heard about Tupac's grandmother and I looked into it and it's like okay it's not his grandmother but also this woman is amazing this story about her is amazing yeah she she sounds badass yeah and considering that the the everything around her trial how big it was at the time her escaping custody being on the FBI's most list, I've never heard of this woman And that's what I like to do with this show, find things you might not have heard of. And hopefully this ticks the box of never heard of this woman before, but now I might go and check out her autobiography. (laughs) I I think
0: um, at some point your your house will be overrun by books regarding obscure topics of history.
1: (laughs) Oh, I, I have already got piles of weird history books but I am also trying to get books related to the topics I cover so I will be getting her autobiography as well at some point and reading through that. Yeah, that's the story of Sata Shakur. So if people enjoyed this episode, Adi, where can they find you
0: online? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at d underscore anhang A-N-H-A-N-G. That's Usually where you can find me, and sometimes you can find me on Eccentric Earth or on Smorgasbord. Um, just annoying people
1: and being my sarcastic self. And if you enjoyed listening to this episode, you can follow us on Twitter as well. You can find us at at eccentric underscore earth. We're also on Facebook. Go to www.facebook.com dot com forward slash eccentric earth and you can also find us on instagram the social media platforms We try and keep up to date almost every day with cool little things from history, little pieces of behind the scenes info and updates of new episodes coming out. So make sure you follow us there. The show is now on all major podcast providers and on YouTube. So make sure you subscribe on whichever your preferred listening platform is so that you never miss an episode. And if you want to write into us with any suggestions for future topics you'd like to see us cover, or with any feedback or questions, our email address is eccentricearthoutlook.com. But thank you again, Addie, for coming on. It's been fun and a pleasure, as always.
0: It was very interesting and entertaining. Um, hopefully, she will never be found. Yes. which is the weirdest thing i've ever <laughs> wished a person yeah I, I hope
1: no one ever claims the reward on you i hope that this most wanted terrorist is never found is not really a sentence that you think you'd say but you do kind of feel it with this one i
0: hope no one is will be able to claim the two million dollars
1: on you Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you all next time. Bye. Bye.